You'll note a little graph in your bulletin. This is uh, becoming our annual uh, exercise of inviting you to see uh, the fact that the last month of the year is when we receive a lion's share of our giving, which is wonderful. Uh, and so we have uh, decided to make you aware of what those funds are, what funds are needed as we make our way to the end of the year so that we can have a balanced budget. Um, this is nothing unusual, uh, but it is something for you to be aware of as we enter into this giving season in December that you might keep in mind Church of the Palms, uh, not only with your regular tithe and offering, but also perhaps if the Lord has blessed you to think of how we can allow you to be a blessing to others uh, even in a greater way. So keep that in mind as we make our way into December. Our scripture lesson today comes from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the first from the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, perhaps a very familiar passage of scripture that you've heard. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with, and he has made everything suitable for its time. Our second lesson is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning at the fourth verse. Paul writes and says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. 
By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. With this morning's sermon, I am indebted to one of the great New York City preachers of a couple decades ago, Morris Boyd, who once held court at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church and then later the City Church of New York. Dr. Boyd once preached a sermon entitled, Punctuate Your Life, wherein he suggested that life is best lived when one pays attention to how you punctuate your days, that life is how you punctuate it, that every life should have a healthy balance of different types of punctuation. For example, every life, he suggested, should have a healthy balance of exclamation points because exclamation points point to enthusiasms and every life should have its passions and enthusiasms. Every life, he also suggested, should have a fair share of question marks because question marks suggest wonder and curiosity. Every narrative of life, he suggested, should be dotted with quotation marks because quotation marks acknowledge our indebtedness to others, and so on and so on. It's a wonderful sermon that I hope you don't read because it's a lot better than this one. <laughs> but one of the punctuation marks that Dr. Boyd did not comment upon in his wonderful sermon is one that we don't necessarily place into our lives ourselves, but rather one that gets placed there for us. And the punctuation mark of which I speak is the comma. Your life and my life are filled with commas. Now, as soon as I say that, I realize that we are living in a time when punctuation is being used less and less. If you're a texter, a tweeter, or a poster, then chances are you don't choose to waste your time with punctuation marks. Sometimes we'll use a period, maybe sometimes we'll use a question mark, but less and less the comma. So maybe I need to explain what a comma is. <laughs> Among many things, a comma is a punctuation mark that we use to indicate the conjunction of two independent clauses in a sentence, two or more thoughts or realities that you are attempt attempting to hold together in one sentence. For example, the sentence, I love Florida, comma, but I think the summers are too hot. Or, I trust God will take care of me, comma, however, I am afraid of what the doctor might say. Or, I am a fan of the greatest team in college football, comma, <laughs> but I'm worried that we'll lose again to Ohio State this week. Used with a conjunction like if and or but, a comma tries to hold together two independent and sometimes conflicting realities. Now, now there's something ironic about me trying to give a little lecture on punctuation because the truth is it's really not my strong suit. I got lots of red ink on my college term papers when it came to punctuation and I cringe to think of what people think when they read my sermons, all six of them. That was supposed to be a joke. It reminds me of the story that the Christian sociologist and speaker Tony Campolo used to tell about being invited to give a pastoral prayer at his local church, and after the service, a woman came up to him and said, Dr. Campolo, I counted seven grammatical errors in your prayer this morning. To which the professor replied, that's okay, lady, I wasn't talking to you anyway. <laughs> but I digress. Back to commas. 
Kama's attempt to hold together two independent and sometimes conflicting realities. I am a writer, comma, but I don't do punctuation well. Life is full of commas. Life is full of independent and sometimes conflicting realities that we have to hold together. I have a wonderful family, says a good parent, comma, but I feel like my youngest is going off the rails. I am blessed with more than I deserve, comma, but I'm worried I won't have enough. I believe that God loves me, comma, but there's voice inside me tells me I'm not good enough. Susie is my good friend, comma, but I'm not sure I can trust her. It's a beautiful sunset, comma, it's just too bad there's that cloud over there. Life is full of commas. Life is full of conjunctions, the ands and the ifs and the buts, that point to the fact that life is a mixed bag. There's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The sun shines, the rain pours, the buds flower, the leaves fall. There are winners and there are losers. To everything, writes the great wisdom writer, to everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, comma, and a time to die, a time to plant, comma, and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to embrace, comma, and a time to refrain from embracing. Life is never all one thing or the other. Life is full of commas. Like when Jack Benny was given an annual an award and in his acceptance speech said, I don't deserve this award, but then I have arthritis and I don't deserve that either. <laughs> Life is full of commas. But the question is, what do we allow to follow the comma? In other words, life is not whether you have commas. The question is, how do you use them? How do you hold together the independent and sometimes conflicting realities of your life? What conjunctions do you use to balance the conflicting dimensions of your days? What proportion do you give to the negative as compared to the positive? I had a counseling professor in seminary who used to say that when a person is talking about themselves or about what they're going through and they use a comma but, you should pretty much ignore the first clause of what they said and listen carefully to the second clause because the comma but tells you that that's the thing they're fixated on. Pastor, I had a pretty good week, comma but. I got this text from a friend that's upsetting me. Pastor, I got this award at work, comma, but I don't think my boss likes me. Pastor, I have a good long life. I've had a good long life, comma, but my kids tell me I need to move into assisted living. The comma, but, and what follows tends to be the thing that captures and commands our attention. Not unlike looking at a beautiful painting and you're admiring this beautiful painting and then someone who knows something about painting comes up alongside of you and points out that there was a little small mistake, a small blemish that the painter didn't pay attention to. And of course, now all you can do is what? See the blemish. Beautiful painting, but now all of a sudden there's this blemish, comma, but. We let the proportion of the negative command the picture. So how do you use your commas? What, what conjunction helps you keep in balance the independent realities of your life, the good and the bad, the yin and the yang, the beauty and the blemish? 
makes me think of Sue Miller's novel, While I Was Gone, about a wife and mother trying to her best to hold together a family. And one night, she's fixing dinner in the kitchen, and her college-age daughter, Sadie, is there in the kitchen, and she's whining about a college project, and the washing machine is acting up, and the dishwasher is making a weird sound, and she can smell her husband's freshly laundered clothes hanging on the line. The dogs are barking up a storm, and this mother pauses and by grace says to herself, I'm alive, and I get to be in all these worlds at once. This is what we grow old for. Life is how you use your commas. So it makes me think of the Apostle Paul. If ever there was a person who swung between the extremes of life, it was the good apostle called to bring the good news to unknown regions. Paul subjected himself to the resistance of Jew and Gentile alike. And as a result, things went either very, very well or not very well at all. The joy of seeing the love of Christ enter into the lives of friend and foe, comma, and the beating and jailing that came with disturbing the peace. But Paul had this remarkable way of using his comma. When Luke records for us Paul's time in Philippi, he tells us how the town turned against him and Silas, comma, and Luke has this remarkable sentence, they gave, him, they, they gave them a severe flogging, threw them into prison in the innermost cell, fastening their feet in stocks, comma, and that night they prayed and sang hymns to God. Life is how you use your comma. To the Corinthians, Paul writes about his thorn in the flesh, this mysterious illness that plagues Paul throughout his ministry. So pay attention to the comma. Three times, Paul says, three times I appeal to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, comma. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Life is what you put after the comma. And then later as Paul sits in a Roman jail, sits in a Roman jail, Paul writes to the Philippians and says, rejoice in the Lord always, comma. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, for I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Life is what you put after the comma. So it makes me think of when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, comma, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now isn't that, it isn't just some power of positive thinking trick. Rather, Jesus invites us to consider a new way of seeing, a new way of seeing that has to do with choosing to see the painting amidst the blemish, the backdrop of blessing that sets the scene for the unevenness and trouble of life, the good news of God's love, presence and deliverance amidst the tragic news of the world, not in order to ignore the bad stuff, but to live triumphantly with it. Be of good cheer, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. We know how it ends. The good guy wins. We see the blemish, and maybe even we work to correct the blemish, but more so, we focus on the brilliant backdrop of life. And when I think of this new way of seeing, I think of a young man I read about recently, Ben Underwood, 
who early in his life, while still a toddler, lost sight in both eyes. Lost sight in both eyes, comma. But his mother became convinced that Ben could see a different way. She had learned of that seeing technique millions of years old called echolocation, the same navigation system used by bats who are blind but rely on where they're going by sending out sound waves and judging where they are by the sound waves that return, echolocation. And for the early years of Ben's life, he used noises from his mouth to send sound and in turn developed that part of his brain that allowed him to register the sound coming back so he knew where he was. He could see an effect through his ears and lived a relatively normal boyhood life. Ben lost sight in both eyes, comma, and saw through his ears. Beethoven was deaf when he composed most, some of his greatest music because he used different parts of his brain and senses to hear the music. A friend of mine was diagnosed years ago with an aggressive brain tumor, diagnosed with an aggressive, aggressive brain tumor, comma, and in the years his doctor told him he had left, he decided to leave his unsatisfactory career, picked up his passion, singing and playing guitar, traveled the world singing songs of hope to cancer patients, and after one of his concert tours wrote and said, so I've come home with a whole bunch of things I never knew before. God is real. Hope is worth it. Kindness has no conditions. Strength is subjective. Music, smiles, and coffee cross any border. Friends and angels are often the same thing. Prayer matters. That seeing with another part of the brain. I have an inoperable brain tumor, and God is real, and hope is worth it. So I wonder in this Thanksgiving and giving season if we can't stand to be reminded how easy it, us, easy it is for us to do the comma but. How easy it is to focus on that little blemish the in the beautiful landscape. How easy it is to focus on what we don't have, what we don't know, and forget what we do have and what we do know. The secret of being well fed and of going hungry. The secret of having plenty and of being in need. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That while in this world, we will have trouble, comma, but be of good cheer for Jesus has overcome the world, that the call of the gospel is to live triumphantly with these things, to give radically, to spend our lives with abandon, seeing with another part of our brain and our soul, Helen Keller, the blind, deaf, mute, who managed to live a, an amazing life of accomplishment, said it this way, life is a great adventure, comma, or it's nothing at all. It all comes down to what part of the brain and heart you'll use because we all have commas. We all have those independent and conflicting realities of life. We all have insecurities and fears. We all want to hedge our bets because you just don't know what's going to happen next, Pastor. 
But I submit to you that that's not a way to live. Life is an adventure or it's nothing at all. And Jesus has overcome the spot on the painting. And he's inviting you and me to see with a different soul, a different heart, a different part of our brain and spend our lives with hope and promise and radical generosity because it all comes down to where what you do with your comma.